Hey, everybody. Thanks for being back with us uh, on this Thursday as we close out the week in the Gospel of Luke. I, a fun passage today, and I probably, I don't know, some people wouldn't find this passage uh, enjoyable maybe, but I, I think, you know, Michael, we've been kind of all over the place. Luke has led us in a lot of directions here in chapter 11 and 12. I, I think this is this is almost straight devotional. I, I think today's passage is just one of those that kind of convicts you every time you read it. There, it's encouraging. It's it, it's challenging. I, th- I think there's a lot here. Um, it to give you a, a little preview, friends. It's subtitled in the Bible: "Do not worry." And so. Um, it's not exclusive to Luke, but Luke does some interesting things with it. So let, let's dive in here. We'll read for a while, and then we'll come back and talk it through. He said to the disciples, I tell you, therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food. The body's more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow or reap, but they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worry, add a single hour to the span of your life? If then you're not able to do a small thing like that, why worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of them. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow thrown in the oven... How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for the kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And Maybe we can take a break there, Michael. So, um convicting words i i've we've said i've said this before in other contexts i i don't consider myself generally to be a worrier um for whatever reason my my personality makeup is just not one that kind of dwells on things and expects the worst outcome um i i'm lucky in that regard probably has struggles in other places but that's not one of mine and so i i always feel for the worriers among us when they get this counsel, do not worry, because I imagine the the response is, "Well, how do you? Yeah. Well, how so do you? Then what? Yeah, just okay. I'll just stop worrying. And and if you're a worrier, and if you've practiced worrying many many times, then uh, clearly it's not as easy as just stopping doing it. And so Jesus then goes on to say, you know, look at the world. God governs the world. God oversees the world." And if God is doing that, God is certainly going to care about you because you're more important than birds and lilies and things like that. The Father cares for them and cares more for you. And you can't, and the other, you know, the sort of practical word here then is worry doesn't accomplish much. It doesn't do much good. When you worry, you can't really change things. You can't affect things. Worry is wasted energy. Most psychologists will tell us that. And, you know, it, it generally is true. Most of the things we worry about don't come to pass, and therefore we've spent energy on something that didn't need it. 
And and then finally, Michael, here's this word, strive. Don't strive over the worrying. Don't strive over things of the earth. Strive after the kingdom, and the rest will be a part of the package. So there is, I think, a a nice sense here in which Luke is encouraging all of us to throw ourselves on God and saying that if we do that and as we do that, we need not worry. And I hope that's a comforting word. I I know, again, if you're a person that's prone to worry, now you have to worry about not worrying. But But this is, if we read this correctly, I think it's invitational. And I think Jesus is giving us a chance to see a better path. There's a little bit of a road here, and I don't want to miss that road. So I think let's make sure that we get our context. Remember that in yesterday's study, and if you haven't got a chance for that, it's maybe a bit of a strange parable, but I think it's an important parable to understand what we're talking about today. So I do recommend you jump back and listen to that if you haven't already. But just for context, we have this this individual who's been given a great crop. They store it up, and then this is the end. God says, you're fool. This very night your life is de- uh, demanded from you, uh, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Store up your treasures. Don't store up your treasures for yourselves. Uh, they're not rich toward God, right? Okay, so then this is very carefully constructed. Luke says this very clearly. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because of this idea— um, those who are storing up the treasures of life are not making themselves rich in God. Therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or your body or what you will wear. I think, Clint, the temptation of a text like this is when we read this very devotional text about do not worry, we take it out of context and we make this a small, shallow word. We say something like, you know, don't worry because worry doesn't benefit anybody. It's just not good, logical thing to do. Okay, well, that's true. But that's not what Luke is trying to tell us Jesus said. No, what he's saying is there's no sense in worrying because God is at the center. And make it very clear that God is the whole thing upon which this teaching spins. It's not Worry just is a psychological burden, and so therefore we shouldn't do it. It's No, worry is an expression of not trusting God. Worry is taking upon ourself a responsibility that we can only have truly and rightly held in our trust for God. God is the one who gives life. Uh, in the previous parable, God's the one who takes life. God is the one who gives us earthly blessings. God is the one who we trust to provide the blessings that we need, not just the blessings that we want. And if you look at a parable or a teaching like this with that context and perspective, Clint, I think what it does is it helps shield us from of some of the self-help and some of the prosperity bent of the gospel that we can sometimes fall prey to. It's not this idea that If one is a Christian, there's nothing to worry about. The idea is in a life that's full of cares and anxieties, one should practice faith and trust in God. And when we do that, we discover there was no reason to worry because God is great enough for all of those worries. In fact, he's so great, it's beyond any measure of greatness we could comprehend. I think that's an important point, Michael, that what this doesn't say is that Christians should be totally unconcerned with the world and the details of their life. This is instead a teaching that shares with us that worry, particularly obsessive, compulsive kind of worry, is 
a, a counterbalance and it's antithetical to faith. It, it is the opposite of trust. To trust God is to have less worry. And, and if we claim to trust God and yet we worry over all the various details of life, then our, our trust has not sunk deep enough into our spirits. And, and I don't think this is saying there's nothing worth being concerned over. Obviously, that's not the lesson here. The lesson is that in a life of faith, we move out of our worries into trust. And that's a graduated scale. Nobody does that perfectly. Nobody does that constantly. But that is the invitation here. And so I, I hope if you're one of those folks who would call yourself a worrier, I, I hope you, what you hear in this passage is not criticism, but invitation. What would it look like to give those worries over to God? What would it look like to spend less energy afraid of what might happen and more time trusting that God is at work leading and guiding you. And, and Luke, and this is unique to Luke, we get this beautiful summary here in verse 32. Luke says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Those are, I think, some of the most pastoral words spoken in the gospel. This idea of little flock, and it's the Father's good pleasure. Do not be afraid, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So if God is seeking to give us the kingdom, God is not going to be unconcerned and unaware of the other aspects of our life. And so, again, I hope that you hear in this a wonderful invitation to, to surrender some of our worries and put them on God's shoulder instead of ours. Clearly, that, that's a struggle in some moments of life, but it is the struggle of faith. And the more we can embrace that, the more we can live into that, the better able we are to receive God's comfort and strength and surrender our fear and our worry. So, Clint, I think you mentioned this word, and I want to just pause as we look at this text from that devotional lens. I think that there's some really deep meaning here. Verse 29, this is the prohibition, or this is Jesus saying, do not do this thing. Verse 29, do not keep striving for what you're going to eat, drink, and to keep worrying. Do not do these things. And if you've had any time spent trying to stop bad behavior, one of the worst things to do is to make your sole goal, don't do it anymore. There's that famous psychological saying, do not under any circumstances right now, think about an elephant balanced on a trapeze, right? Like the moment that someone says, don't do a thing, that's what our mind fills in. So Jesus says, do not worry. And, and yes, that's, that's a good command. We should seek to do that. But what Jesus does, I think, just amazingly, is he replaces that with what we should strive to do. It's not just don't do this thing. It is then do this thing. Fill in that gap with this. So if you're a worrier, pay attention to verse 31. This is for you. This is Jesus reaching down, leaning in close, whispering in your ear, strive for God's kingdom. And these things that you worry about will be given to you 
as well. Clint, this is an incredible gift because it gives us an opportunity to focus all of our faculties on something positive, to, Mm. to focus on what Jesus came to do, and that is to proclaim the kingdom. Luke has made it very clear for us in this telling of Jesus's life that that kingdom was central to Jesus's understanding of who he was and what his mission in the world was. And what was true for Jesus is true for every believer who calls himself Christian, who bears the name of Christ in their life and their work. Your goal should be to strive after kingdom work, and that should mean that you serve like Jesus served, you give as he gave, that you seek to practice humility as he was humble, that you practice grace as he gave grace even to those as they crucified him. I mean, the the depth of the kingdom the upside downness of the kingdom is so life changing and revolutionary that we all have every breath that we take that we need to to apply towards striving after those things. And, and Clint, if we're able to do that, it gives the worrier not just a thing to refrain from, but a thing to reach towards. And that's a really substantial gift. That that's an invitational response, to use your words. I, I would say that it it recaptures a sense of the present, Michael. I mean, the the danger of worry is that our concern of the possible future steals the current moment from us. It, it fills it with something that may or may not happen, and and we miss it. We miss out on the presence. And so, um, remembering that the good Father seeks to give us His kingdom, and do not be afraid, little flock, is a beautiful invitation. And it, it, Luke takes this in an interesting direction because Luke cares about money and possessions because, as we've told you, that's one of his key themes. Luke mashes a couple of things together here that in other Gospels are separate, but then Luke goes from there to say, sell your possessions and give alms, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, this is, I think, a very good bracket to the parable that we looked at yesterday, the rich fool. And here we have this temptation, you know, worry over stuff and acquiring possessions and money are for us a a constant worry, a constant battle. But on the other hand, look what Jesus says here. Sell your possessions, give alms, make purses for yourselves that don't wear out, an unfailing treasure. In in other words, hold what you have loosely, and not worrying allows us, trust allows us to do that, that we are able to invest what we have in the kingdom then. And then these convicting words, but poetic words, where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. And so uh, this is, I think, a convicting phrase, Michael. It asks us to examine, if I could look at the center of my heart, what is it that's there? What are my worries? What are my fears? How am I doing and giving those things over? How am I doing living with open hands and holding loosely what I have? so that I could live without it or give it away or have this unfailing treasure, unfading treasure. Um, I, I think Luke 
It's a quick transition, but it's a pretty good transition going from devotional, invitational to the challenge. And I I think there's a great takeaway at the end of this passage. I don't think that this is tacked on. I don't think that this is in any way a divergence if you're able and willing to see the implication that at the end of the day, one of the core things that demands our worry is the stuff of life, the perseverance of our life. And so this idea that if you are willing to give up your possessions, to give alms, make yourself purses that don't give out. In other words, don't be putting so much into the stuff in storehouses of your life that they're bursting over. Keep your needs light. Then in the midst of that, then you will be constantly investing your treasure in a place that you want it to be, in the heavenly kingdom and not your own worries, anxieties, and fears. This is maybe one of the most counterintuitive and yet wise counsels or prescriptions that could be given to a worrier. Instead of trying to combat worry with more positive self-talk, maybe we should combat worry with more intentional giving, to reach out and to give of the very thing that we're worried of not being able to have enough of. The wisdom might be that in God's economy, When we are willing to give, we're given back more than what we could have ever imagined. Maybe not in the same type, maybe not in the same quantity. Maybe we're surprised by God's divine generosity. But the promise here is that if we see the connection between worry and the kind of holding for ourselves, and then we we respond to Jesus's invitation to let go of those worries and to let go of the stuff— that there is a kind of treasure making that is divine and beyond the human sort of treasure house stuffing. And that's a a deeply spiritual and I think very cohesive theme, even if other gospel writers may put them in different places. Luke wants us to see that aspect, I think, in Jesus's teaching here. Well, because Luke, like all the gospels, is concerned about worldliness and it's no surprise that when he says, don't worry, he says, don't worry about your life, what you eat or what you wear. In other words, don't be too attached to the things of the earth. Don't be too attached to your worldly life because those concerns get in the way of your spiritual life, of your heavenly life. And so as we put our feet in the kingdom and as we try to move the focus of our life to following Christ— we find that we have less to worry about in regard to our earthly situation. And and that's, again, that sounds like pressure. Maybe it sounds like critique, and it can be for all of us. But it is, at first, I think, a beautiful, wonderful invitation that all of us have to move away from worry and to move toward faith. And um, this this is an extremely powerful rather short passage. And I think if we listen to it, um, we we do find ourselves convicted, certainly. But I think if we give it a fair hearing, we also hear ourselves encouraged. Clay, I'll be very, very, very brief. It is easy if you know worry for this to really hit you like a truck. But if you maybe have 
been a person who is able to be more laissez-faire in life. Maybe you hold things more lightly by personality. We want to make something very clear at the end of this text. This is not permission. This is not Jesus saying, live life, sirrah, sirrah, that we can abdicate responsibility and that our actions don't matter. If you're a worrier, you don't need to walk that ground because you likely take more responsibility that is due. But this is also not Jesus saying, hey, listen, we shouldn't care about doing the right thing or being people of character or standing up for things that matter or doing hard work. That That's not the point. The point here is very simply invest your treasure in things that don't rust and things that aren't stolen and things that will accompany you in the life beyond. And, and there's maybe just a word of caution there that depending upon what perspective you come from a devotional text like this, a text that has something to say about our life and our values, if you come at it from a different perspective, this isn't a kind of permissiveness to, to check out. J- Jesus is clearly not making that claim throughout this whole gospel. No, absolutely not. The, the preceding passage was about a guy who had more than enough, and he said, I'm going to take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, and God told him he was a fool. Right. I mean, you can't. Right. You 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 can't walk out of this passage with that understanding. That's right. not. You would. It's not in there. Don't it's, make that mistake. No, it's not in there. I, I think the. I, I think the. Uh, I heard an illustration once that the people who read the end of the book, you know, you get to a part in, the, in a book in a novel where you're worried about a character, and you flip back and you see their name on the last page. Mm-hmm. It changes something. Yeah. You you know, now no matter what happens, no matter how bad it looks, you know that they're going to be okay. And you read with a certain confidence and you read with a certain lesser amount of worry. And the pastor using the illustration said, that's essentially the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know that in the end, you are God's beloved child and that God cares for you deeply. And that changes things. And and that's the invitation of the passage. So well said. Hope you can hear that. Hope that's true for you today. We'd love to see you tomorrow. Like this video if you found it encouraging. Uh, it helps others find it. And we look forward to continuing the study together as we continue on Monday. See you Monday.